This episode of the Adventure Jogger Podcast brought to you by John Harden, Sean Humphrey, Tobias Daniel, James Mathis, all of our Patreon supporters, and of course you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Susan Donnelly, welcome to The Adventure Jogger. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, I'm going to brag on you for a bit, and please feel free to correct me if my numbers are wrong, because here's the thing. You did not make this research easy on me at all. Like, <laughs> sorry. This required a lot of math and a lot of, of tally points. I lost track how many 100 milers you have run. I gave up after 100. It's 145 according to my spreadsheet. Okay. And I'm glad I started keeping a spreadsheet years ago for a different reason because otherwise it would be hard to add up. Uh, yeah, because I'm like, making little check marks. It's just tally marks. I'm like, 100. Oh, my God, the page isn't even done. Uh, so I, I, I knew that you had over 100. And I'm glad that now we know the number is 145. Um, yes. As far as wins, um, you can correct me on this. Please feel free. Don't don't be like, you know, feel like you need to hurt my feelings on it. 17 wins is what I tallied before I gave up again. So how far off am I on that number? I'm a little light um, on that, ain't I? No, I don't think so. And honestly, I haven't kept track of that number. So you could be, that seems, that seems right. Yeah. And a couple of those are like Crimea River is like outright, like, you know, yeah. overall. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, that could be right. I don't keep track of it, honestly. <laughs> Susan Donnelly, I'm very disappointed in you. You should have that number memorized. Well, any you should be able to throw that number out anytime someone talks. Like, oh yeah, yeah, nineteen <laughs> wins. Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> okay, thank you. That gives me a number to shoot for on my spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, because no, when you look at what you've done and what you look at, you've accomplished, and not only that, but the longevity of your ultra running career, you are a name that needs to be mentioned with the greats, should be mentioned with the greats. I mention it with the greats, but not everybody does. You are, honest to God, one of the most prolific 100-mile runners this country has ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) No, and, and the thing is, you didn't just see success early on. You continue to win races to this day. It's not like, well, I, run, I, I won a bunch of stuff in the 90s, and now I'm just kind of hanging out in the middle of the pack. You're still crushing things today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little, I've got an injury right now, but um, my last my last win was at 55. I'm 60, about to be 61, mm-hmm. and my last win was at 55. So everybody who thinks who's listening and thinks they're too old or over the hill or their best days are gone. Like smarts count and deviousness counts for an awful lot in this sport. So don't count mindset out. I, I want to get to that. And I want to use your knowledge, use your experience, use your incredible depth in this sport to hopefully help some folks that may be doubting themselves physically or mentally. But yeah. first, I think the important story to tell for you, Susan, is, again, how do you get into this sport? Because with the time that you've had, the time that you've given to this sport, you got into the sport in a moment where there wasn't really a whole lot of social media going on, if any. Um, Yeah, there's no books. I mean, it's not like there was all these different ways to discover this world of ultra running. It was this very tiny niche sport full of weirdos that people just stumbled upon. How did you stumble upon ultra running, Susan? It is it is the most bizarre story. And I have to I will 
shorten it as much as I can, but I, I'll summarize it before I start in that clearly the universe or the powers that be kept insistently pointing me in this direction. So um, I was a high school cross country and track runner. I was mid pack at best. Um, my coach told me not to bother trying out for the college team. There was a lot of, um, there was some grudge there and I'm an authority figure. I believed him. So I didn't run in college. Wait, 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 we got to stop there. That, that's a point we can't just how crazy to think about this your your high school cross-country coach who's supposed to be you know a role model and a mentor and someone who guides you through running and, and teaches you a lifelong love of running right that's like the perfect cross-country coach he says to you <laughs> right he says susan don't even bother. This is it. You're, you've run your last race. You have nothing to provide to the sport. Don't bother doing it in college. Don't bother. Yep. <laughs> Basically. I did not. I read stories about people who had great coaches. I think I was reading about Camille Herons the other day, and it was like, that's just not what I had. Ugh. So um, so I did not run in college. And this was back. You got to remember, this was back, or you got to know, this was back in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Stone Age. So I didn't run. I got very miserable um, close to graduation. Um, and, you know, it's a big life change you're getting ready for. I thought, well, when was the last time I was happy? Well, that was when I was running. So I went out and ran a mile. And you know, I kind of progressed from there. And one day I was still at college on campus. And one day I went to the newsstand again, paper, sold paper. <laughs> and there's this little black and white magazine called Wild Trails. And I thought, Huh. And I picked it up and I flipped through it and it, it was about trail. Y'all are not going to get this now, but back in the day, it was about trail running. That absolutely blew my mind. Trails and running to put those two things I loved together. Mm-hmm. And it was a thing people were doing absolutely blew my mind. I was so blown away and excited that I flipped through the magazine and I still remember the page it was on and where it was in the magazine. Um, This photo, uh, top left corner of this page, top right corner of this page, Ann Trayson, I can picture her now, it said, Ann Trayson topping out such and such hill climb at Western States 100. And I just had my mind blown about trails and running and now here's 100 mile race and like absolutely blew my mind again and a woman doing it, which was just like, oh my gosh. And, and it was one of those moments, if you've ever had one in life where it's not like I want to do this, it's like, no, I'm, I'm meant to do this. Like there was just no, I knew I was meant to do this. And um, so I graduated, I got a job, um, I started training. I decided I wanted to, um, uh, let's see, how did that go? Let's, I, I, got, I did all the things I was supposed to do, you know, went and made money and, you know, bought a car and all this stuff you're supposed to do. And then it wasn't that fulfilling. And I was kind of like at loose ends. I'd run marathons by then. Um, and I was kind of getting a little bored with marathons. And I thought, you know, there was this ultra running thing. <laughs> Maybe I need to figure out how to do that. And again, pre-internet, um, it didn't even exist, as far as I knew. Mm-hmm. And there was this little, um, there was this newspapery thing in the southeast where I was, where I was, and it was all the races in the southeast. And there's this little tiny corner of ultra running races in yeah. the bottom yeah. back corner of like ten right. races in the whole southeast. <laughs> That's it. Only ten. There's only it's- ten. And I thought, well, okay, I'll pick one of these and I'll do it. And uh, no books, nobody I knew doing this, nobody even talking about this. This was, like you said, so fringe and so obscure. It it just wasn't even on anybody's radar. And I just decided, well, I'll take what I know from marathons and I'll train for this 50 miler. So I trained, I picked Mountain Massacre in Virginia. I thought 50 miles, okay, all right. Let's go for that. And I signed, I sent my check in the mail <laughs> and signed up. And a month before the race, my appendix burst and I ended up um, getting cut open and not being able to do the race. And then I thought, well, I'll do a quick turnaround. I'll heal up quickly and I'll do something in the spring. 
and I'll stay in shape. And then I had um, some scar tissue break open. I had to have a second surgery around Christmas. And so I said, well, I'll just, I'll table the idea for now. So um, I moved back here where I am now in Tennessee to be with a guy. And I was, I had met the local running club one day. This was a couple of years later. And I must have mentioned ultra running because they said there's a guy in town that does it. And I you said, you've got to be kidding. Nobody knows about this. <laughs> like, what are the odds? I moved back to this little town I grew up in and somebody's ultra running. And it was an odd, it was a kind of a cultural island in Tennessee. Um, and there were like 10 people. There were eventually there were there were like six, seven, eight people doing ultra running. And so I joined them and I learned how they trained and I ran my first um, 50K. I ran my first 40 miler, War Trace. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in War Strolling Trace, Gym, yeah. Glad, strolling Gym. And um, I thought, well, I, I, ran, I ran 40 miles. What? Like, that was just so, like, I had no idea how you could do it, but I thought I would get out and see if I could. And I did. And I thought, well, that was just so cool. And so I kept on and eventually um, I got to the point where it's like, okay, it's time to do what you saw in the magazine all those years ago and run a hundred miler. And so I eventually got to that point, but, but it took me 10. It, I read about ultras probably in 86, 85, 86. And I ran my first one in 96. Mm -hmm. So it took me 10 years to get there. Y'all don't, don't take that long. <laughs> Don't waste that time. <laughs> Two things in that whole story amongst many that stick out. Um, did you did you send maybe a buckle to your high school cross country coach? Nah, Say so it looks nah. like you were wrong. <laughs> nah. I, I know. I know he was wrong and the one of the things and there was a grudge. He had a grudge in there. I won't even go into that, yeah. but um, and it was very mean spirited. And I, but I wasn't equipped to deal with a comment at the time, um, like I would be now. But um, also, one thing I found as I got into marathons, and the reason I felt comfortable tr even trying ultras is that once I started doing 5Ks and 10Ks and a marathon, it's like, oh, well, no wonder I wasn't that great in high school because those distances are so darn short. I'm not even warmed up by then. I'm, I'm better at the longer distances. So I thought, well, let's just see what I can do in even longer distances than a marathon. Interestingly enough, how crazy that when you move back to your home in Tennessee, yeah. you find all of these ultra runners there. What, what, what small town do, do you call home now, Susan? Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Oh, the, the legendary Oak Ridge, the nuclear... Uh, the town that popped up out of nowhere. And yeah, Oak Ridge, because of Oak Ridge's proximity yeah. to some really fantastic trails, it kind of yeah. makes sense that you'd find ultra runners in that part of Tennessee, even when no one else was doing it, just because of the landscape and the opportunity was, was ripe for that area to have ultra runners in it. Yeah, and it's really more, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's more the, the it was at one point in time when I was growing up, the highest per capita PhDs in the entire country because we have three government plants here and one of them is a national lab. So we had a lot, we had a high percentage of engineers and scientists and scientists from all over the world here. Um, a lot of, a lot of the arts and it was just a bunch of people that are prone to get into that type of thing, I think, or get curious about that type of thing. And we did have all those trails. When I got into ultra running in 2010, I live in Clarksville, Tennessee. Okay. There was there was two. There was a whopping yeah. two. And now there's like a whole group of people who have done yeah. it. But I remember being like, oh, oh, there, there there's there's like nobody? There's like one guy? Like one yeah. guy and me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leslie, that's two. I used to get the black and white ultra running magazine and I would flip to the results in the back. And I would scan all the results to see, just scan the states, you know, up and down to see if there was anybody from Tennessee. And there was nobody but us for years and years and years. And it was like, <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of funny, but it was also kind of lonely. Like, okay, 
well, we're, we all run together well, and that's great, but it would be fun to have some more ultra runners in Tennessee. And now, like everybody and their brother is an ultra runner, so it seems. It's very true, and you're right. And, and how disappointing that in a state filled with absolute beautiful trails, mm-hmm. there's like yeah. 10 people taking advantage of like, like You didn't have to worry about finding parking at the trailhead back then because there was plenty of parking to go around. Yeah, absolutely plenty. And just uh, just like, I'm not sure thinking back, I felt comfortable as a woman on, by myself on the trails. I had to learn to get comfortable with that. Um, what, the guy who really was my mentor, Carrie Trammell, um, he would go train in the Smokies. And I thought, oh, okay, well, if he's doing it, I can do it. And, and so I just decided I'm going to go pick a trail and you know see how it goes (laughs) and just you know give it a shot see what it's like you bring up a really good point though susan because i think i think that's a barrier for a lot of women they don't know if the trails are safe and i think it's easy for me to say as a man because you know a woman will say is it is it safe to be on the trail and i'll say listen that's an awful lot of work for a pervert to get out and hike 10 miles for that I, i i think you'd be safe because, I, I mean, I don't know any perverts, but they don't seem like highly motivated people that are like, I'm going to go hike 15 miles to to, to do something horrible. No. I, I think it's 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 a fear that everybody has. Mm-hmm. But here you are, tens of th- hundreds of thousands of miles through the trails of Tennessee. Yeah. Do you feel, and is that, like, like, how can, I can't as a man put women's, minds at ease about the safety of the trails but you can and you've had that experience yeah i think about the same thing it's it's um and in my day job i spend a good deal of time thinking about risk and actual what is actual risk what's our perception of risk um what do we do to minimize it that type thing and um i'm like you the cigarette butts don't they're congregated around the trailhead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't, they don't, you don't see cigarette butts very far down the trail. And so the, the times I have, I run in the Smokies a fair amount because mm-hmm. it's fairly safe. I've done enough trail running there of enough different trails that I'm pretty comfortable with where I am. I go there a lot on my own. Um, uh, and the only times I have been harassed, which is very few, have been at the trail at the trailheads in the parking lots, like it, people who almost wouldn't bother getting out of their cars. So, um, yeah, I don't. It, it's not good um, attacker strategy to go hike 15 miles out on the trail and sit and wait for some lone r- woman runner to run by. That's a lot so of work think, to get. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah, so I figure the odds are in my favor. And as I'm getting closer to the trailhead and my car, I get very much, you know, much more alert, um, get my keys out, all that type stuff that we do on a regular basis. Do you suggest like carrying something? Do you have pepper spray or your phone or, or how, what do you what do you carry to stay safe? I carry a tracker, um, and so so somebody knows where I am. I leave a note in the car because I have actually gone out to search for a friend at one point in time overnight, um, who who went missing overnight in February, um, and that's so I've been on that end, side of it. So I leave a note in the car, and I also I do carry some like a, just a mini can of spray. Um, for whatever i see bears a fair amount and have never had a problem with one they're always very communicative respectful i get what they're saying you know we go our own ways i've never had a problem with one so that's that's my experience you have so much experience with bears you speak bear (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure i claim that and, you know, there's always the bears that hang around trash that are closer to the cities that, that would be a different ballgame. But the bears I encounter out in the Smokies, for example, are um, I have not had problems with them. I think if you add that, though, to your profile, you know, Susan Donnelly, ultra runner, coach. Yes, I speak bear. I speak bear. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell the bear next next time I see a bear, I'll tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about all of your years of experience, right? You have made, probably you've made every mistake 
someone could possibly make along the way. At least one. (laughs) Right. right. Maybe you've made some of those mistakes multiple times. But through those 145 ultras or 100 milers plus countless other Mm -hmm. ultras. Yeah. All those training miles in the Smokies. You are a running coach. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably very wise uh, given what you know. I want to talk about the physical side of ultra running. There is a lot of different ideas about Mm -hmm. what is necessary to physically prepare yourself for an ultra marathon. On one side, you've got a camp that says, you know, strength work, high mileage, back-to-back long runs, that sort of thing. And in the other camp, you have... Strength training. Everybody agrees on strength training. Strength training, yay. (laughs) Right. There is no argument about that. Whether we do it or not, that's a different story. Especially as you get older, more important. (laughs) Right, exactly. So we all agree on strength training, but the other side is going to say, you can do this. What you need to do, 35 miles. Do some, you know, do some easy runs, do a one hard workout, and then do a long run you're set and ready to go. 35 to 50 miles is all you really need to run mm-hmm. a 100-mile ultramarathon. We'll get to the mental part of that on the mm-hmm. other side of things. Yeah. But for you, what is the reality of what someone has to do to be physically prepared to run 100 miles? Good question. Um, and I'm not sure anybody's ever asked me that. So to, to give some context to my answer, I've, um, I've worked as an engineer my whole mm-hmm. adult life. So I've supported myself. Um, so I've got a job like most of probably most of the people listening have had, still have a day job doing that. Um, so I've got to take vacation days off and things like that for races. And I only have a certain amount of vacation time. I I hear you all on that. <laughs> so, um, I so I grew up in ultra running. With I started out in ultra running, like it was very much about it was very much like marathon training. You did one long run, you did your weekly mileage, pretty much it. Um, I still subscribe to that. I the the two back to back long runs were only ever intended to be a backup plan in case you couldn't get your whole long run in. Um, because your kids had soccer or something, mm-hmm. you know, had a family get together. And so it was a plan B to get your miles in. That was all it was ever, that's all we ever used it for and all it was initially intended to be. So this whole, I have strong feelings about this whole, like running on tired legs. You know, if you're going out running 30 miles, you're still running on tired legs. So, and that much more closely mimics a race, race conditions. So, and working a day job, it is it is a recipe for can be a recipe for burnout if you don't manage it really really well to spend your weekends for months at a time um, using both weekend days that you have available to you with big runs of like ten to twenty or whatever you're doing. Right. So and living living that way for months. Um, so. I see a lot of people with burnout from those. I'm not a big fan. You can tell of back-to-backs. I have used them, though, um, when I need a plan B. So to answer your question, 50 miles is kind of my sweet spot, especially right now at 61. Um, and I'm injured right now, so that's I'm a little bit like I'm not even sure what my normal is right now. Right. But that's what's really 50 to 55 has really been my – it doesn't burn me out. It doesn't require too much – um, trying to juggle too many plates with work and everything else I had going on in life. Um, and it, so it's doable. It's didn't tear my body down. It set me up. And those were, those were, especially long runs were quality, like with hills. Mm-hmm. I live in Tennessee. So I got a lot of, I had a natural diet of hills in all the miles I did in those 50 miles. So that's another thing everybody should understand about my number. Um, but 50 to 55 has always worked really well for me. 60 is is fine. I use races to build up to shorter races to build up to longer races, or I just string from big race to big race. I mean, doing that many hundreds, sometimes I'm doing, you know, one a month or back-to-back hundreds. Um, so the 50 to 55 is pretty much a good average for me. 
I love that you talk about the reality because so many people, and it's not sexy, Susan, and people don't want to talk about it because talking about the regular runner doesn't get you web hits. It doesn't get your podcast listened to. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get you on the cover of any magazine. But the reality is 90% of ultra running is not elite runners. It is the everyday runner that has a life outside of running that has requirements of them. They have to take care of the kids. They got to take the do their job. They got all of these things that are being asked of them. And then Mm -hmm. when they they hear these training plans and these coaches and a lot of times these coaches are professional athletes who have not. And I'm using quotation fingers had to work a real job. And so they apply the their reality of I get money on my legs to Mm -hmm. teaching people who get money by punching the clock to mimic what they're doing. And I yeah. think if 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 everybody just tunes out right now, right? If they're if not, they take nothing from this podcast, like like he had some yeah. guy, some gal on, she's fantastic. Uh, they <laughs> he made a bad joke and she didn't laugh at it. It was, but right. if you take nothing from this, I think the reality that we were talking about with that burnout factor that mm-hmm. nobody who yeah. doesn't have a real job understands that the requirements of you as a spouse, as a parent, as an yep. employee, as a mm-hmm. as a child, it, it, all yep. of these things, there has to be balance. And no one ever yes. really talks about the balance. And Susan, people will say, that doesn't make sense. 55 miles to run a 100 miler, saying 30 miles is your longest long run. Yeah. In that buildup, that doesn't make sense to them. They go, there's no possible way. Mm-hmm. Why is that thinking? I mean, you can understand why people think that way. Oh. But yeah. why is it wrong? Well, that's what's worked for me. So I'm speaking about what yeah. worked for me. And as um, a long time, long, uh, a good Southeast ultra runner, Dwayne Satterfield used to say, we're all an experiment of one. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. You've got to find what works for you. We are not cookie cutter um, in bodies or lives or mindsets. Um, So why does that work for me? I think because I was pretty careful to make those miles, I did have a high percentage of hills Mm -hmm. in those miles. And I did a fair amount of, in my day job, I did a fair amount of walking. Mm-hmm. So that's probably some hidden miles that yeah. don't even show up. And I've had runners tell me, I had a, a postal delivery person once tell me she couldn't run ultras because she was, she spent so much time delivering mail. And I said, that's perfect. <laughs> like, are you on your feet? And she said, yeah. She said, I'm so tired. I can't get my runs done. I said, you've got you've got such an asset going here. You've got like the perfect job. And she said she insisted on seeing it as a barrier. So anyway, I think my, I had a lot of walking miles and um, the best shape I was ever in was when my day job was three flights up and I had to walk three flights up and down multiple times a day. So there are some hidden things in there that aren't necessarily running miles that um, probably helped boost that 55, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was probably at 60. Honestly, um, I never followed, I have never followed a training plan for my ultras. Never. I'm like Camille Heron. Um, I just don't, I've never have. Um, I just learned how to train for marathons and I just, I know what to do as far as me getting ready. Yeah. Obviously. So, So that's another stressor that people think they have to follow a training plan to the letter right and very 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 stressed out about that that's mm. just stress you don't need like you got real we've we've got to find a way to fit training into our real lives or it's not going to work i think you're right and then again that's that's right on the money i've i've often kind of thought susan that if you are in marathon shape mm-hmm. you can run a 100 100 miler yeah, yeah, it depends. Obviously, you're not going to go out and run hard rock necessarily. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, but if you want to run just your standard, we'll just say a Midwest, right. you know, yeah. Kettle Moraine, uh, yeah. Indiana Trail, um, mm-hmm. Superior even, even though that's a little bit of a harder race, would they have give you a very generous cutoff for that? Um, yep. So 
you can finish that. You're not going to finish Hard Rock if you're just a, just a marathon shape, but most every other race yeah. you'll be able to finish. Um, and, and two, I, for, for some reason, someone tagged me in this on Instagram because I often say if you can run a half marathon, you can run a 50K and no one believes me. And then every once in a while, someone will do it and then they'll go, see, the adventure jogger was right. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, I, I'm glad to be known for, for that of, of, of all things, right? I, I'm happy to be known. Um, but I often say that the difference being you can completely screw up your nutrition and you yes. can bluff your way through a half marathon and you can bluff yes, your you way can. through a marathon, right? You can bluff your way through a marathon, yeah. You can even, if you're lucky, bluff your way through a 50K. If mm-hmm. you're lucky, mm-hmm. you can't bluff your way through a 100. Nutrition plays such a big part of that transition from 26.2 to 100. What have you found nutrition-wise, or am I am I talking out of my rear end? And you're like Ryan, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> so <laughs> you could. I mean, come I on, could. you've got the you've got the uh, ultra <laughs> sign-up credentials to say it. <laughs> um, but it's such a good point. I mean, I could geek out on this, and um, so I think I'm trying to think back because I am almost certain, like I know I can get away with very little mileage if I need to. It's not ideal, it's not what I'm shooting for, but if I need to, I can get away with not doing a ton of miles if I have a really smart strategy and go into the race knowing knowing my plan for the race. If yeah. I have a really well thought out plan for the race, I can pull it off. Um, I really did that at Daytona, 100 in December. I mean, that's a lot of flat pavement miles. Um, But I ran with a hip injury, and I really thought about how I was going to make that happen and make that work. And I've done that thinking with many hundreds. Like, I've got something, you sign up for 100, and then something happens. You job change, um, life event, something not ideal happens in your regular life, whatever, and your training's not ideal. And I was trying to think, I was talking to a client the other day, and and I thought, you know, I don't know that I've ever gone into 100 with quote-unquote ideal training. Yeah. So so I think, I mean, there's probably a low number. I Daytona, I could have used some more mileage for sure. But I bluffed, I smarted my way through it, let's say it that way. Okay, but you did you you bluff through it with the experience that you have because you've 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 done some things you know some things to avoid yeah. and you're not you're not bluffing your way through making all these mistakes these rookie mistakes because well you've been there you've made those mistakes for you though I mean does nutrition play a big part of your game and getting the right calories in and knowing what to eat or is, is that yeah. kind of a fly by the seat of your pants thing? fly by the seat of my pants thing it is so i spend a lot of time talking with clients about this and i do not cover nutrition so i'll be clear about that i'm yeah. not a dietitian nutritionist but we spend a lot of time about how people think about what they're eating and what they think they have to do and the stress about it and when i started in ultras i mean we had like at eight stations you were doing good if you had pb and j squares a bowl of jelly beans, a bowl of M&Ms, and maybe if you're lucky, a bowl of potato chips. And these are communal bowls, by the yeah. way. <laughs> um, and that was it. And like gels, I don't even remember when gels, I was going to look this up the other day. Well, I don't even remember when gels came on the scene, but we started with, I mean, I remember running with power bars and that was it. Um, so I am used to like whatever is there on the aid station table, I will scrounge. I will find a way to get some calories in and like I do fine. And so I don't, there are so many people having expecting to have stomach problems now that just, that wasn't even a thing back Mm. when I started, nobody was having all these stomach problems. And now we're, everybody is like having their own stomach problems. And it's just, it's, I'm, been doing a lot of thinking about why that is and you know what mindset there is um but i mean we had salt capsules we electrolyte capsules we didn't have any of the drinks and um 
you know, I'm not going to be old curmudgeon old school, but <laughs> I didn't have any problems. The only problems I ever had was when I overate the chocolate chip cookies at the aid station because they were treats. <laughs> and I still don't. I occasionally have something that I mistake for nausea, but it's really hunger. Yeah. And know that about myself. And I suspect that's some of the problems people are having. But like, I don't, I do, I know, I know I can get away. I've done hundreds on all gels. It's not ideal. Um, but, you know, I just make do with what I've got on me and what the aid stations have. And it's always worked out fine. That's the way I think about it. Let's unpack that for a second, Susan, because I think there's something you, you said in there, like mm-hmm. back in the day when we were strapping Aunt Jemima bottles to our hands because we didn't even have <laughs> water bottles and, you know, didn't have them fancy trail shoes. You slapped on some old New Balance. It's all right. you had. And then Montreal yeah. comes out with a trail shoe and you're like, what is this? Oh, good oh, Lord. Um, yes. Is it because... We are so consumer driven, right? When you were in the sport, there was no money to be made. That's why nobody was making anything for you because there was no money to be made. Power bars were for mountain bikers and kids after soccer, but it worked for you. But now there's money to be made. And so each in, in order to sell a product, you need to convince people why your product is better, right? And so what is your product going to do that the other products can't? Well, we're going to help you avoid GI issues. We're going to help you enjoy, Mm -hmm. uh, avoid stomach issues because our formula has been crafted by scientists (laughs) who have looked in scientists and dietitians, right? Yes. Lab coats everywhere. And there's little beakers and Bunsen burners. And they're going, ah, (laughs) we have the right mix. Finally. For the first time in human history, we have found the right mix of electrolytes and carbohydrates. And now, and only now, can we create a product that can help people achieve their greatest athletic achievements without their stomach going sideways. And so, yeah, you you hear that over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. They created a problem to solve the problem. Yeah, that's one of my one of my working theories. And again, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian, and I coach the mindset and strategy side, mm-hmm. not the physical side. I'm a certified coach, but it's other people can do that just fine. Um, my strength is in the mindset and strategy, and as far as that goes, I I suspect what you described has plays a role in the. I mean, we have more ultra runners now than we had before, so we're going to have more people with. Mm stomach issues just statistically but i just suspect with the amount of with what you exactly described that that plays a role in the in just the chronic stomach problems that seem to be out there yeah it was it's funny all the products that are out now and i had one sent to me a while ago and they're like listen we'd like to be partners with the adventure jogger i'm like well i gotta i gotta try what you got here and yeah. they're like, okay, we're going to send you some some of this product. Yeah. First of all, it tasted like absolute garbage. Like I was like, why? Why? And it was, wow. and of course, anytime I I found that that there's there's um there's two words mm-hmm. that when I see them, it's it automatically sends my horse shit detector going off. Mm-hmm. And those words are removes toxins. When I hear removes toxins, <laughs> I know that I'm about to be sold a load of horse shit. Yeah. 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 That's, that's well, and that's not what we're doing out there either. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, to, that's the last thing we should be thinking about right. is toxins being removed. Um, I will say that I love the, and I've talked to, had, had nutritionists and dietitians on the mm-hmm. podcast and um, there, there's, there's, there's a couple that I really enjoy and they are yeah. simplify it. You, you want to get a certain number of calories simplify in. It. Yeah. it doesn't matter. Pop tarts are great. Twinkies are great. Uh, is like I it's not my favorite but it works and I'm sorry but like we are not like unless you signed up for a luxury catered race <laughs> like 
you got what you got out there. Be happy <laughs> out there. Be happy there are volunteers serving it to you. Like, if you don't like the flavor of jelly, you know, you can pass it up without complaining about it or you can eat it. But it's there for you. <laughs> Just know I, you're not gaining any friends when you say grape jelly. Right. I, I requested strawberry. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. My, I'm not a fan of white bread, but I will. I will eat that because that's part of my job in getting to the finishes to fuel my body. So I am with it's good to hear you say that because that's I'm definitely with them. Just keep it simple. We we probably for our bodies overcomplexify it, mm-hmm. um, but certainly we spend way we spend a lot of time mindset wise consumed with worry that you're doing that eating wrong mm-hmm. or drinking wrong. Exactly. And, and it's and for somebody to tell you how and what's better is for you to go out and see what works for you and experiment and keep track of how it goes and learn your own body. Mm -hmm. Um, Annie Weiss, by the way, is my favorite nutrition person in the world. She's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, Mm -hmm. She's just absolutely fantastic. She is so no nonsense, no BS. Like everybody should just pay her money and then she'll tell you how to eat without (laughs) making it fussier or anything like that. Susan, you are a mindset coach. Mm-hmm. So often I've had people talk about, you know, training and nutrition, but mindset is so important because, I mean, we hear often people say it's oh, 10% it's- physical, 90% mental, but we never talk about the mental. Oops. Unless things go wrong and then you're talking about what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's, let's start there. Mental training. What is step one? in mentally training for an ultra marathon well it really depends like i tailor it to my clients um so it really depends on where you're coming from but in general one of the one of the like we do spend time initially most of them come in with a race or a set of races that they are headed towards and so we start with like what's driving you to even run these races what's your why and and really delving into that but if If I wanted to pick out one thing to point to that would help everybody um, universally, uh, and it's what I just coached a client on right before this call, um, it's awareness of what's going on in your head. Don't avoid it. Don't distract yourself with other things. Don't um, tune it out with music and or like only running groups so you don't, you know, what... You can call it demons, you can call it whatever, but to go ahead and face what's going on in your head and emotionally too, those two things, what you're thinking and what you're feeling emotionally, um, go ahead and face that stuff and see what see what's going on. Because then once you see what's going on and you'd be surprised if you sit down, I'll give you all an exercise here. It's a free bonus um, adventure jogger exercise Ooh. here. <laughs> Sit down with a piece of paper and give yourself like five or 10 minutes and just write down every sentence in your head, every thought that runs through your head. Good, bad, no censoring. Write it all down. Let it dump it out. Call the thought dump. Dump it out on paper. Um, and then when you get done, look at it and see what's there. Oh, I'm scared. I'm, Susan, I am scared to death. <laughs> Of what is going to be on yeah. that sheet of paper after yeah. five minutes? Well, you can't do anything about it if you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. what's going on. What are people's reaction when you tell them to do that? It is um, a relief. It is inter- It's anywhere from it's really fascinating. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. To it's a relief to actually face it and just i just put it on paper not even doing anything about it just that thought that you know is in the back of your mind that you're not wanting to admit is in the back of your mind getting out on paper it's and that's a little bit of you being in control you putting it on paper but um, just seeing what's there is it's like a weight gets lifted mm-hmm. very good stuff i'm doing that when we're done wow I don't want to lie to you, Susan. <laughs> I'm going to start mentally preparing myself preparing to do, it. Yeah, to do that. Okay. And then 
I'm at some point. I promise you, by the by the end of the weekend, I yeah. will have I will have done that. Um, just okay. because I I need to do it. It's probably I'll something. Yep, thank you. I, I probably something I should have done an awful long time ago. Um, again, I heard the joke that podcasts wouldn't exist if men just went and went ahead and got therapy. <laughs> and I think that's there's a lot of truth to that. So yeah. who knows? You know, Scott Scott Coomer from uh, Ten Junk Miles. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I I love Scott. We always have such wonderful conversations. Last time he was on, he was asking like like what. What does the end of the adventure jogger look like? When do you want to call it quits? And I'm thinking that once that's- once I start down Susan's path of self-discovery and, and mental clarity, yeah. it'll be done. I'll be like, well, I, I don't even need therapy anymore. I got some from Susan. And so podcast over. I no longer no longer I'm avoiding therapy, which which is great. I love that exercise. <laughs> I, I, I do. And I'm, and I'm going to do that. And I. I, I won't send you the list, but I will say done. No, nah, we don't. Unless you want to sign up for coaching. Like I got a, <laughs> I've got an opening right now and more, I may have more coming up. I got some big changes coming up, but, Very cool. um, but that would be a first exercise. And I cover, I cover a lot of practical stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I give, I give clients a general tool that's really how to change your thoughts mid race, mm-hmm. how to catch a thought that's bothering you and how to get in control of it instead of letting it, sink your race Uh, so i give them process for that one of my clients calls it a doom slide preventer um and um i teach clients like how to um dig deep when they need to how to um i don't even have my list in front of me how to evaluate a race so that afterwards whether you finish whether you finish or you don't finish whether you win or you know disappoint get disappointing results how to evaluate your race so that you can improve, like, like really improve faster. Next race, next race, next race. Um, I teach clients a lot of, a lot of to prevent um, a lot of problems like dropping. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of stuff about how not to drop. Um, and one of the one of the big chunks of my coaching is teaching clients how to like really plan a race, not just like what pace you think you're going to run, yeah. like plan out the whole race so that we can get the uncertainty out of it. It's no longer like, can I finish? It's, oh, I see how I can finish and I see how I'm going to. And that is like mentally planning it as well as physically planning it. It's the whole ball of wax. That, Susan Donnelly, that just could be the thing that makes people go like, oh yeah, I'm signing up for her to be a coach. Because... It is fun. No one talks about that stuff, though. And to think yeah. about, we prepare ourselves physically by yeah. by skipping the long runs uh, more often than we should. Um, <laughs> but we we never <laughs> prepare ourselves mentally into. Yeah. I mean, we we have a plan, right? We go. We got a little thing that we wrote right. on our hand, going. Oh, a goal is is. 14 hours, B goals, 20 hours, C goals, 26 hours, and D goals to finish. And here's my pace chart, right? Yeah. And that's it. And we're like, and by the way, those things were made less than 24 hours before the race. That is the amount. Absolutely. (laughs) At the last minute. (laughs) Right. As you're like, we got a Sharpie. I got to write these A, B, C, and D goals um, on my arm. But I love I love the idea, and this is something that is not done mm-hmm. the night before when you no. can't sleep and and you're you're a mess. This is done almost you you mentally train for the race when you start physically training for the race. Yeah, you look at you look at what you how you're going to do the physical course, how you're going to do it within the time the cutoff time constraint and how you're not going to drop you, you part of the planning is, and there are so many facets to it. Like we literally come up with a plan and, and, and draw a picture out and everything. It's like, you know, colored pens could be involved. Um, but it's, but it's also like, how are you going to mentally run this thing also? Right. That's no small thing. So you're not just like wondering, like, how is this going to get? You're not standing at the starting line wondering how this is going to go. You know how you want this to go. And if things go differently during the race, you know enough about your plan to be able to adjust. And it doesn't throw you at all. So 
yeah, we plan the whole thing out. Um, and I've had a lot of um, clients like cringe at like, oh, you want me to look at numbers? Like, we're going to look at numbers as part of it. That's certainly not the only part of it. Um, but we're going to look at numbers in, in a way that works for you. We're mm-hmm. not, you don't have to come up with a huge spreadsheet, but we're going to look at numbers in a way that works for you, in a way that shows you what you need to do and what you can do and, you know, gives you some context. So I can, <laughs> it's fun. It is a lot of fun. And I have had so many clients go into races saying they're more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Like I had one the other day, she said, am I allowed to be this relaxed? Is this Okay. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, of course, that's the, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, because you know what you're going to do. And when things go wrong that you didn't expect, you've got that plan there for you. I love it. And for me, a person like me who, amongst other, this is not Ryan's therapy session. Again, I want to keep this podcast going a little bit longer because I have kids (laughs) in college for crying out loud. I've got to pay for it. Um, But um, for me, I know the anxiety especially the longer races. It's kept me away from running Mm -hmm. 100 miles for a a lot of years because of the anxiety that was attached to that. It was almost crippling to the point where I wasn't sleeping for, wasn't sleeping well for two weeks beforehand and Mm -hmm. just mentally destroyed to where I had to say to myself, I can't do this anymore. This is not fun. Yeah. I, I, I love the people and I love the sport and I love being out there and all of that, but I cannot deal with this anxiety unless Tennessee legalizes weed. Uh, this is just not, not going to work for me. And I don't know if that's going to happen. And so hearing you say what you're saying and how a plan mm-hmm. and, and, and mentally training as often as you are uh, physically yeah. training and in treating your mental training, getting that plan together, realizing what that plan needs to look like, yeah. realistic expectations for that race, breaking down the sections of that race and how things are going to, you go in with a plan, you know what you're doing, you have confidence in that plan and the yeah. two things kind of come together. Um, you talked about dropping and strategies to avoid dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, the best, the best, the two best things that I've heard for avoid dropping, you can say mm-hmm. if these are hooey fooey or whatever. <laughs> One is, uh, we'll decide that at the next aid station. That's your mm-hmm. the attitude. So we're not going to decide that now. We're going to decide that the next aid station. Usually mm-hmm. when people say that they've got another hour before they get there. And so they have time to process or whatever, and then they move on. Or the other one is I can't make that decision race officials will have to pull me from the race. I, 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 I can't make the drop decision. I can't, I can't drop. The only person that can drop me are race officials. They're the only ones that can pull me from the course. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to know my, my secret, <laughs> secret sauce to that? Yes. We make, the, we make the decision before you even get in the race about your criteria for dropping. So it's partly the second answer. Um, but we decide you, you don't want, Think about it this way. You do not want to be making any critical race decisions in the middle of a race when you're tired, you're discouraged, it's raining, um, your feet hurt, you're low on calories, you're you're sleepy. It is so you're impaired. <laughs> we think about it that way mm-hmm. and not with weed. <laughs> and so you don't want to be making critical race decisions in that state. You make it before you even get in the race. Like, what are my criteria? And we set, I worked with clients to set different criteria based on, you know, whatever's going on with them at the time about, like, when are you going to decide, you know, what are you going to look for to tell you to drop or not? And we're going to come up with this list so that you already have that before you even get in the race. So you're not making that decision in the race. I love um, that because then you know, like, okay, it's yeah. it's very it's not emotional. Then there's no emotion attached to it. Nope. It's very detached. It's okay. These are the criteria for a drop. Yeah, I, I need right. I need to see these things, and if I can see these three factors or whatever, that's when I can pull the plug. But if these three factors don't exist, then I I'm I'm still right. on. I'm still trugging along. Yep. Yep. Per my decision. Yeah. 
yeah, that was that was the commitment I made to myself. So I'm sticking with it, which feels good. Like if you are in the middle of the race and you know you're sticking with your own decision, mm-hmm. that's that little that's a little bit of confidence build right there. You got. Yeah. Something you were saying earlier, too, it's about that mental training and, and making those decisions. Mm-hmm. There's and I, I don't know what you call this, but it sounds like it's almost the same theory in a way is detaching. You're not your thoughts, especially in an ultra, you are not your thoughts. So detaching yourself from your thoughts and saying, this is not who I am. This is my body's reaction to extreme stimulus. Yeah, that's hard for a lot of people to believe, though, because they're like, wait a minute, I am my thoughts. That's all I am is is the constant chatter going on in my noodle. How do you get people to understand, especially when the body is under extreme conditions and it's facing extreme stimulus that those things that are popping into your noodle aren't mm-hmm. really reality. Well, it's, I mean, I do get, so I do get used to that concept cause that's, that's um, one of the first ones I learned when I started um, looking at how the heck to stop DNFing yeah. <laughs> way back in the day, which is how I got where I am. But um, we talk about it. The, that thought download exercise I gave you is a good way to start to see that, you know, this is just like a stream of, you can visualize it like a stream or a river, a running river, or like that ticker tape, like of stock prices along the screen or something. It's just a lot of thoughts, sentences going through your head is all thoughts are. And you can sit and if anybody meditates, um, which is fabulous, you can watch your thoughts, you know, just enter your mind and disappear. And so we we talk about it, but that um, that doom slide preventer thought process thing I teach my clients is really it really it is set up to help them identify a thought mid race that is bothering them and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a it's a fairly simple process, but um, it's set up to where they can identify that thought. And we, and we work together. I work with clients in six-month blocks. So it gives us plenty of time to, for them to have long runs that are good and bad and have shorter races. And for us to trial this stuff out, for them to have a real life and things go wrong. And, um, and for them to, to try and, and practice and get really comfortable with these processes rather than me just teaching them the process and turning them loose to go run the race the next day. Good right. luck. Right. Like, hey, did you do that thing about the writing down the thoughts for five minutes? All right, right. awesome. We'll see you at the finish line. <laughs> right. I'm there to support them the whole way and to, to, to help them really, to make sure that they really get that and to support them through all of it. So, yeah. Is that the, the doom thought slider thing? <clears throat> Talking about that. <laughs> Yeah. For for me, it, is it kind of like a mental checklist? So you, you kind of say to yourself, okay, you're getting these bad thoughts in your head. We check these things first. When's the last time you had something to eat? When's the last time you drank something? Or is it kind of like that? Well, it starts out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this thing in your head um, that is not, it's bothering you. Um, so So awareness, identification is the first step always. So I give them a way to ID it. And then it's a way to turn to decide if that's working for them and to turn it around if they decide it's not that thought is not working for them. For, for example, um, they could get passed by somebody in a race and think, oh, that person, I'm tired. And look, that person just passed me like I'm standing still. What am I doing out here? I should have trained more, you know, any of those, you know, that that little spiral right mm-hmm. there. Um, we all know it well. <laughs> Um, they can take one of those thoughts like what, like I shouldn't be out here is really the thought. Like I have no business being here. I'm not going to do this. Well, um, you can take those thoughts. Are those working for you? No, those are not going to get you to the finish line. And so like, do you want to stick with those or do you want something else that's going to work for you? And it's so, you know, helping them pick something else that's going to work for them. That's going to get them to the finish line. You know, it's really negative taking care of negative thinking is all it is. Mm-hmm. I saw you're a life coach as well. And you, yep. and one of those things that I think not a whole lot of people talk about, but I think a whole lot of people are dealing with, especially people that are in ultra running, 
yeah. is self-confidence. Yeah. Well, none of us have it. There's like two people that have it. I think Donald Trump has it. And I think a couple other people have it and that's it. Like there's like three or four people that have self-confidence and the rest of us are like, ah, I don't really believe in myself. Yeah. Susan, what is the biggest barrier that you find to oh. self-confidence? How can we be more confident in ourselves, Susan? Oh my gosh. Well, you should have prepared me for this question. Um, I get two good ones. I, I When you said... <laughs> No one's ever asked you that question that I asked you earlier. I was like, for for me, I'm like, listen, Susan Donnelly, this is not her first rodeo, right? She's been on 100 podcasts. And so my goal is to not have you go like, that question's been asked, check, here's my answer. Another one, check, here's my answer. So I got you with one that you've never been asked before. And so I've got you with two. Now another. I feel like I've made it. And that just boosted my (laughs) (laughs) self-confidence. So there are a couple of, there are so many ways we could attack this. Um, if, if we were working together, if you were a client, mm-hmm. we would get into, we would have the time, the luxury of the time to get into it and, and look at why and what part, I mean, self-confidence is a very broad thing. And so we would, we would look at why, and that would be a good way to like pick that apart. Um, you know, what do you even think self-confidence looks like? Um, one thing, if I'm just like reaching here um, quickly for a tip, um, one thing would be to to question whether you do, whether you lack self confidence, mm. because a lot of I think we get a lot of media in our face, like we were talking earlier. We get a lot of media that tells us we should, especially if you're on social media. You get a lot of help thinking you should be more self-confident or that for some reason you're not and here's how to do it. And so it's almost like we are letting ourselves be trained that we are not self-confident and um, and we're not looking for, so we're looking at all the ways, we're conditioned to look at all the ways we're not self-confident mm-hmm. and we forget to even look at our accomplishments and why we can be self-confident so so that's one thing is just be careful of what you're consuming and things telling you you're not self-confident and questioning whether that's true and not forgetting to look at your accomplishments and and like one of the one of the exercises i take here's another one i'm gonna give you one of the exercises i take a client through before races okay let's go through all the reasons you can finish this race we're gonna list them and we go through, it's sometimes a very long list, and they're surprised um, because it's just not what that they're necessarily focused right. on. So the stuff that, that tells you, that shows you, that proves you are actually self-confident. And, and then a lot of self-confidence comes from, like, how do you treat yourself after you finish a race? If it was, if you did not hit your goal, and then you did not, you know, you didn't hit the time you wanted, you didn't finish, something like that. Like, how are you gonna, how are you, do you have your own back? How do you talk to yourself? Like, are you confident in the way you treat yourself in your mind? Mm-hmm. Or are you telling yourself, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you're not a real ultra runner, you're a failure at this, you should just quit now, that was dumb, you should have known how to train, you know, whatever. Um, so, so look at what, look at all the messages you get that tell you you're not self-confident and question those. Look for the proof that you are self-confident because you have some, everybody does. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to look at that. And also um, just be cognizant of how you treat yourself in your mind and how you talk to yourself. The kinder you do that, the more confident you will be. It's almost like they created a problem to solve the problem to make money. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> That's popped up again. <laughs> yeah. Susan, yeah. you are a sage. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've never been called that. I will take it. Yeah, you are a sage. You are uh, just your knowledge, your wisdom, um, just sharing it for an hour for free. People yeah. can down. Well, they got to listen to a couple of Spotify ads in there, but that, you know, if it's free, everything's free. <laughs> if you can, st- you know, it, it, it costs something, right? Yeah. Um, you do coach. And I, and I, I, I hope that after hearing this podcast, people are like, well, 
almost you still got some slots open how can people how can people find you if they want to have the sage the sage of oh, oh, would be a good one um i know you've run superior like how many times you've done it like 20 times 22 the sage of superior there you go (laughs) what if so it does i was actually at your 100th 100 mile finish which was at superior um yeah i was at that race um so yeah i ran that one um I, i don't think we finished near each other we may have i don't remember my time um but no if someone wants to get the sage of superior to be their coach mm-hmm. um you mm-hmm. can cha- please change your instagram handle to that uh how can how can people get a hold of you <laughs> oh i'll consider that um just um you can message me on instagram you can check out most of my posts i put the what I start out with with anybody who wants to coach with me is a, it's just a simple consult call. And that's mm-hmm. just you get on the phone with me. You tell me where you are, what you want to change, even if you're not really sure, but you're dissatisfied. Let's hop on a call. Let's talk about it. And I can I'll tell you what I think is going on and how we're going to fix it and what we would do. And we decided for a good fit and we want to go forward. I mean, you don't have to sign up blindly. So mm-hmm. we get on the phone and talk about free call. Um and if they get on Instagram, um, it's in it's the link in my bio on Instagram. Um, I it's on my website mm-hmm. um, and it is on my Facebook page, my business Facebook page. It's the link in my bio to the Facebook page and the Instagram. Good um, stuff. And I, there's links on my website mm-hmm. and my I go by on all of three of those. I go by Susan, middle initial I like Italy, Donnelly. Um, because there's a Susan Donnelly realtor in Maine. <laughs> and there's a Susan Donnelly poet in Ireland. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me more popular. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You want the sage of superior, not the Irish poet or the realtor. You don't want right. 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 Someone can you imagine some the realtors getting questions <laughs> like, run a hundred miles. What are you talking about? I got a showing in five minutes. This is ridiculous, right? Yeah. yeah. She is, she's never, she's, I asked her once about buying the, you know, buying the domain name from her. And she said, nah, she's got a business based on it. And I said, fair enough. But so we've communicated, but she's never told me that she's gotten requests about hundred milers. Well, when she (laughs) retires though, that's when you go like, Hey, have you sold enough houses? Cause I, yeah, yeah. Wait, (laughs) Susan, this, this has been an absolute, uh, just treat and and a gift. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. And I was delighted to be asked on here. And it has been a great interview. And I do appreciate those two questions that I've never been asked. So thank you so much. And my self-confidence has been boosted. Thank you. (laughs) 